J.B. Phillips was a scholar and an expositor of the scriptures in another generation. He was famous for beginning his meetings like this. Your God is too small. If you read some of the works of J.B. Phillips, you will come to recognize how he took it upon himself as his task, as is the calling of all men who teach and preach, to exalt and extol the Savior and to, in the best way we can, help people to realize how great God is. I've, I try to do that. I, I fail. I know a lot of times, but the sovereignty of God, the eternity of God, the omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence of God, 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 it's all of God and none of me. This is the great work of expounding the scriptures because that is a basic um, posit or not just a posit, basic declaration of the scriptures themselves, the word of God, the greatness of God. And you'll never exhaust it. Listen, you won't ever think too highly of God. Never. That's why it doesn't shame me and I'm unafraid to preach about God's sovereignty, for example, his sovereign grace. How that my salvation was a thing that came from him from before anything ever was. Therefore, it's called eternal life. It's not immortal life. It's eternal life. So it doesn't, I'm, I'm never ashamed to try to make God bigger than I may have tried to make him the last time because you cannot make God too big. I think that's probably something we can all understand. The greatness and wonder of God. That's why J.B. Phillips would always say, and it was, a, it was a moment of levity. Everybody, most of the time, people knew he was going to say that because it was his intention in the meeting where he was preaching or teaching to try to bring people along a little bit further in their knowledge and appreciation of God. Take them to a piece of scripture and say, maybe you've never thought about this before. This morning, the word that's, that was used in the Greek text for how Jesus wept is, is something that perhaps brings, brings another knowledge of Christ that we hadn't really thought about before. And so this is the great work. Now we come to a psalm that bespeaks the all the all majesty, all power of God. Psalm 65. Praise to the Savior and sustainer. He's everything. We wouldn't be here without him. We wouldn't be saved without him. We wouldn't be sustained without him. We would have nothing. We would have no existence at all without him. But his having brought us as his own into existence that existence only gets better and better and better that he's given to us. It only gets better 
ad infinitum. As far as one could possibly imagine and even beyond that. The, the wonder and blessing of God upon us in the existence, the life God has given to us. And we keep that in mind and we go to Psalm 65. First of all, praise the Savior for the conductor, a Psalm of David, a Psalm. Silence is praised. It's an interesting Hebrew uh, phrase there. But the psalmist is saying, I am gathering thoughts to the highest of my ability that I might somehow, though not visibly engaged, that I might somehow in my prayer and meditation still reach yet a height of praise to which I have not attained before. So you could see, you could see a worshiper and, or, or let's say a congregation of worshipers and some of us maybe just can't sit still and we just carry on. Others of us are pensive and pondering and sitting in silence. This is where David is. Of course, David is a, is a, was an emotional man and he never, he, he was never um, ashamed of worshiping the Lord in whatever way that was moved upon him at the time. But here he sits quietly according to the Hebrew text. Yours may be translated a little bit differently. Silence is praise to you, Elohim in Zion, God in Zion. And to you, a vow is paid. David had a lot of opportunities to pay, to make a vow that he would pay in a time of worship. Countless are the times that he was spared on the battlefield or being chased by an enemy. In the Bible, it starts with David's own account recounting how he would be spared from wild animals as he protected the flock, but it continues in his stand against Goliath, and then it just goes from there. And all of the battles, all of the hard things, even the spiritual struggles that he had and God brought him through all of this. But in one of those instances, let's say in a battlefield, he could make a vow to God, but he wouldn't be able to pay the vow until he comes back to the time of worship in his day, the tabernacle. And we have been seeing how David knows in his mind there's going to be a temple. We've been seeing that on Wednesday night. So when he mentions the temple, it's, it's, it's coming from David's heart how in his heart the temple is already there, but he would make a vow on the battlefield, for example. Let's just use that as an example. And when the battle was over and the enemy had been slain and David was triumphant, first thing on his list was to make his way back to worship so that he could pay his vow, some kind of sacrifice that he would make he made a vow, 
God delivered him, he would pay his vow. You who hearken to prayer, to you all flesh shall come. We reach the point in life where finally we have nowhere to go but God. I've spoken of my grandmother many times, I guess, my, my daddy's mother. She died at the age of 92. And daddy was, he was the youngest. And those who were close by were called in because her vital signs were failing. I shall never forget it, though. Because... Grandmother Owens was a very holy woman. She was very, very strict with her life and the way she led her life. She had grown up that way. She raised her children that way. She fasted every Friday in her life as long as she lived. She fasted every Friday because that's the day the Lord died. There were other things that she did that I won't talk about, but that were part of her life in presenting herself in the best way she could as a living sacrifice to her Savior. Now, we go to her bedside, and I'm with my mother and daddy. She had been moved into her front room. It was a very small house, but the front room was the living room it only had I think one bedroom she had a little small kitchen beside the living room but she had been rolled in to the front room and I don't know how long she had been there and her lips were moving tears were coming from her eyes her eyes blinked a little bit but her lips were moving. My daddy leaned way over and it overwhelmed him. He said, she's quoting the 23rd Psalm. She didn't live long after that, maybe another hour or two. She'd had 13 children and most of them had become very successful. Three or four of them had become millionaires in the, in the building business. This was in the really the hot time of construction right after World War II. And one of my uncles was the first one to bring sheetrock, after it was invented, into Etowah County. So they were very, very successful in uh, their lives None of them, except for my daddy, none of them had finished past the fourth grade in school. Daddy finished teacher's college, Jacksonville. It was teacher's college, but it was two years. Jacksonville Teacher's College. And he was supposed to be the brain of the outfit, and he was the poorest one of all of them. <laughs> he used to tell the joke, you know, he said... Uh, well, your name is Baker. That means that in England, your folks were bakers and you're a smith. And so in England, your folks were goldsmiths and silversmiths. He said, my folks, we're Owens. We're always Owen people. <laughs> so that was our job. 
to borrow money and owe it all the time. But she was, had produced 12. Daddy had, there were 13 of them, but the oldest one had been born to my papa's first wife who had passed away very, at a very, in her early 20s. The rest of them were all full brothers and sisters. Nine boys, three girls. Very hardworking people. She was in a bed in a house. One of my uncles gave her the house. And if you go to South Gadsden, all of the streets are named after presidents. And the last street to tell you, to tell you when all this ended, all this construction... The last street that was constructed was Eisenhower Street. My uncle, this particular uncle, he had built all of those houses down there. He held the mortgage on most of them and had fixed her up with this neat little house that was perfect for her. And she had a keeper who stayed with her uh, as well. I could go on and on with stories about my uncles and all that they had accomplished in their, in their lives. But here's the point. She was a very humble woman. And she lived the holiest life, the life of separation of anyone I've ever known. I've never known anyone like my grandmother Owens. She could have... She could have required more of her wealthy sons, and they would have given it. They loved their mother, my grandmother. She could have demanded a bigger house. She didn't. She could have refused. Her keeper's name was Miss Smith. And this was a widow woman, but she was considerably younger than grandmother and more able to do things. She could have refused this, and she didn't. She, she accepted the help. It's okay. Very humble woman with strict beliefs. She had very strict beliefs. She was a Methodist. Uh, there's one Methodist that I know of in heaven. <laughs> I'm sure there are others. But for all that she could have claimed or declared it, but it didn't, nothing mattered. And here, in the final minutes, just a couple hours of her life, in her flesh, in the best way, in the strongest way she could, she came before her creator and her savior. The last thing that anyone ever heard whispered from her feeble mouth. She didn't have any teeth, didn't have a tooth in her head. Was the 23rd Psalm. You who hearken to prayer, to you all flesh shall come. Words of iniquities have overcome me. As for our transgressions, you shall atone for them. This great benefit of being the child of God is that he blesses us even in our best and in our worst. 
atonement. Something else is offered in our place to pay a price we couldn't pay. To settle a debt we couldn't settle. The sacrifice had to be perfect and not in debt in any way and yet given and accepted as an atonement. A lot of bad things in my life have happened. Words of iniquities and transgressions, but you will overcome, you will atone every one of them. You will care for me. This is the Savior. We praise the Savior. Blessings to the chosen. Praiseworthy is he whom you choose and draw near to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the sanctity of your temple. Now, this is King David. He's using it in a future tense. The time is come, coming when your people will be in your house, the temple. Of course, David had a very active part of that as we've been looking at on Wednesday nights. But no one is there. No one is in his temple. No one is in his sanctuary. No one is in heaven. Unless God chose them. The greatness of God. That's what he said. Praiseworthy is he whom you choose and draw near to dwell in your courts. Even our worship and praise in heaven are reminders that God has called us to himself. That all that we will ever be is all of God and, and none of us. Then to confess the awesome deeds of God. With awesome deeds through your charity you shall answer us. O God of our salvation. El The trust of all the distant ends of the earth and the sea. Who sets mountains with his strength, who is girded with might, who humbles the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the multitude of kingdoms, and the dwellers of the ends fear your signs with the emergence of morning and evening, you cause them to sing praises. If a person will obey the mandate that comes in the scriptures, be still and know that I'm God. Then that person cannot help but to acknowledge the might and the power and the strength of almighty God. They went to the moon for the first time. 
Nobody had ever seen the scene like that. Orbiting, coming out of the orbit from the other side, there is earthrise. Not moonrise or sunrise, earthrise. Nobody had ever seen that. Nobody had ever seen the moon that close. Nobody had ever stepped on it. And the commander of the mission could not help but read from the Bible. In the stillness of outer space, with a sight unlike anyone had ever seen, he could only think of God. If we find ourselves in the deepest of the wilderness in Alaska, and we consider the unnumbered stars and the northern lights and whatever else can be seen. I saw this past week some photographs someone made taking a hike for himself and he had made photographs of the sky littered with stars and then these space formations that are made that you can't see around here. The northern lights. Out there all alone looking at the, how can you say anything? That's what David said. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you would visit him. What are we compared to all of this? I'll tell you. If a person would get alone with God and just come to himself, he cannot help but see the hand of God. You can't see it any other way. That's how we're made. Well, then confess God's provision that he made. He sustains us in our lives. You remember the earth and water it. You enrich it greatly with the stream of Elohim, which is full of water. You prepare their corn, for so do you prepare it. To satisfy its furrows, to afford pleasure to its troops, with raindrops you dissolve it, you bless its plants. You crown a year of your goodness and your paths drip with fatness. They drip upon the dwellings of the desert and hills gird themselves with joy. Meadows are clothed with flocks and valleys are enwrapped with corn. They shout for joy. Yes, yea, they sing. You know, in Romans 1, The decline of a civilization is written starkly and absolutely. And at the center of it all is this. They did not recognize God as God and they did not give him thanks. I read a news article I don't know, four weeks ago. Smart man. 
And he puts together all of this information. And he said, things moving the way that they're moving tells us that most of our grocery shelves will be bare. This is in the United States. Will be bare by the end of this year and early next year. He went into all of these reasons about the fertilizer comes from over there where there's a war and it's been stopped and there's no fertilizer and there's this problem and that problem and all of these things are happening and they all converge together to mean, and not only that, but the cost of diesel fuel to deliver goods to where they need to go. And all of that put together said to him, we're going to run out of food. I reflected on Romans 1 in my mind when I saw that and I thought we're thankless. Thanksgiving is not Thanksgiving anymore. It's, it's what, Black Friday or whatever it is. It's, it's the beginning of a shopping season and it's, it's more about us. It's nothing about God. It's all about us. And we don't praise him for what he does for us. Here the psalmist says, you know, we wouldn't be able to sit down at a meal, God, if it wasn't for you. The earth has to turn. The rains have to come. The sun has to shine. The soil has to do what it's supposed to do to make the crop grow. The water has to come in from different ways. And the flocks only fill the hillsides because you have provided that it would be so and sustained it such that it is so. And all of these blessings come from God. And this is, this is what the psalmist is saying here. He's talking about the greatness of God who looks after us even in our daily provision, whatever it is. He has so many ways he can judge unruly people, evil, sinful people. But here, the psalmist completes his praise by acknowledging the power of God that sustains us just in daily living. The things that happen during the day I don't know about what all these people say about shortages and so forth. I know that it costs a lot more to do things than it used to. And some things have to be put, out, put away that you can't do anymore because of the way things are. But if it occurs that way, it's most likely because we don't recognize this part of the psalm. We are thankless. We don't think of God as being the provider. We think of people as being the provider. We think of humans and humanism as being the provider of things. Meadows are clothed with flocks. The valleys are enwrapped with corn. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. And this is how you and I should engage praise with God, part of it being 
and acknowledgement of who he is as sovereign God in everything of our lives, everything, every piece of it is all of God and none of us. We'll stop there, so let's pray. Father, indeed, we are in awe of all that you do. Your care, your love, the salvation you provide. Your only son whom you sent in our stead. We're mindful, O Lord, and we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.